This week on the Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the Lakers are the kings of the bubble. What do Iga Swiatek and Rafael Nadal have in common? An injury roller coaster in the NFL and feline domination in week two of the AFL finals. I predict COVID spikes in LA. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was the really surprising reappearance of Goran Dragic in Game 6 of the Finals yeah, today. Sure when you hear that someone's torn their plantar fascia, you just assume they're going to be out for the season of a long time, It's basically. normally a month. Yeah, but Dragic apparently begged the staffers to let him play, pretty much right from when it happened, yep. so it's, it's nuts. But why it actually caught my attention is the fact that he's an unrestricted free agent. Like he's 34 and he's probably got maybe one contract left in him and he's willing to put it all on the line just for a chance to help his team. Well, apparently the only reason they let it happen was because he apparently couldn't cause any further damage. <sighs> I, yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> Honestly, pay that man. Yeah, yeah, good on him. How about yourself? Well, oh, look, I've got some leftovers from last week that I didn't get to mention because I knew we had a big show. First of all, I noticed uh, the following words printed at the top of my diary when I was working a couple of weeks ago. October 2, 2020, AFL Grand Final Parade, Vic Australia, to be confirmed. It's clever that they To were, be confirmed, yeah, yeah clever. It's you, very clever. I've done it every lucky. year, but yeah, well, yeah. well played. Yeah, also, I've been listening to the Great Cricketers podcast a fair bit over the last few months. Uh, hats off to old Pez Dog and Higrat uh, over there. Always a good listen. <laughs> Amazing names. And inspiration. Uh, and they had some great stories uh, about Dino after his passing as well. And, and those kind of stories have continued to flood. And he had his funeral last week, which was a fairly somber affair, as you would imagine. It was actually nice to see them give him a lap around the MCG. The saddest thing about it all was that that he asked for them to remove his name from the medal in the shield. Yeah, mm. because he was so pissed off with Cricket Victoria. It's just such a shame that things ended the, that way. Yeah. But anyway, the story the story that really caught my attention was Mike Whitney, who was an absolute crack-up. And obviously they talked about who dares wins and Tanya Zayeta a fair bit, <laughs> as wow. happens. And he says people still come up to him in the street and say, Do you st- are you still in touch with Tanya? But um, the, the, the great story he talked about when he got his baggy green. So nowadays it's quite a fanfare and they get them all in the circle and they get an ex-player to present it and it's all a big, you know, it's big nice story. Ceremony. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it is. It is. It's like a ceremony. Uh, but back in the day, so he, he talked about when he first got the call up. So he was playing in Manchester and he got a call from the manager, Fred Bennett of the Australian cricket team. And he's answered the phone and Fred said, look, you've got to come up to Manchester as soon as possible. You've been selected to play for Australia. And Mike's going, ah, oh, fuck off, you imbecile. <laughs> and he's hung up. <laughs> Because he thought it was a prank. And incidentally, how often do you hear these prank calls when the guy first gets selected for a team? Hmm. I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've heard of several. Anyway, so the phone rang again and Fred Bennett's on the line again. He said, mate, I'm not joking. You've been selected for Australia. Get your ass up here as soon as possible. But anyway, he was talking about the baggy green that he was given. So it's like, there's your short sleevers. There's one long sleever and here's your baggy green. And he's just frisbeed it to him from one side of the room to the other. (laughs) So how things have changed. How times have changed. Sensational. What'd you miss, mate? Well, unfortunately, I missed the Aussie women going for their record equaling 21st straight ODI win against New Zealand. We'll talk about that one a little bit later, obviously, but yeah, a bit of a shame to miss that one. Yes, indeed. That was a work day, though. Well, it was a work day. Yeah. 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 How about yourself, Nath? Well, and I, I missed the LA Lakers winning the championship today. Again, work day. But it's on the fetch, so I look forward to watching it. 
Possibly yeah. after we record. Beautiful. News roundup. Let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, you've got some netball news. Yes, yeah, so the grand finalists are now set. The Melbourne Vixens will be playing the West Coast Fever, who got into the grand final after comfortably defeating the Sunshine Coast Lightning 73-59 on the weekend. Might have to watch that game. Yeah, the, well, the grand final will be Saturday day, I believe. Okay. Hmm. Might have to find a pub that's playing that. And the Fever had the wood on the Lightning uh, throughout the season. They were all blowout wins, so it wasn't all that surprising. But I think the grand final could be a little bit closer. Mm, interesting. So we'll move on to some baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays have managed to hold off the Houston Astros 2-1 in Game 1 of the American League Championship Series. The six-seed Astros have pulled off two massive upsets, knocking off the third-seed Minnesota Twins and the two-seed Oakland Athletics, while the one-seed Rays swept the Toronto Blue Jays before knocking off the New York Yankees in five. On the other side of the bracket in the National League, the one-seed Dodgers swept the Milwaukee Brewers and the San Diego Padres to set up a series with the two-seed Atlanta Braves, who also swept their two series against the Cincinnati Kelly Killers and Miami Covids. Sorry, that was supposed to read the Reds and the Marlins. Ah, close enough. Formula One update from the Eiffel Grand Prix at Nürburgring. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has equaled Michael Schumacher's record for wins with 91. Yeah, on Schumacher's home circuit, no less. He was actually born about 80 k's away from Nürburgring, Schumacher. fitting, isn't it? And I believe Schumacher's son presented him with one of a signed helmet or something. Yeah, from one of the 2012 Grand Prix that Schumacher was in. A really, really touching moment. And and certainly one where you got to see a bit more of the human side of, of Hamilton, which was really nice. So, yeah, a lot of drama in the qualifying, actually. Kimi Raikkonen shunted George Russell and nearly flipped him over. Alexander Albon knocked the front wing off Daniel Kivat's car as well. But, yeah, Hamilton dominated the main race. He was four, four and a half seconds ahead of Max Verstappen. 14.6 ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, who finished third, actually. Yes, so, his first podium of the season, I believe. Well, in 867 days. Well, there you been go. a long time. Okay, definitely the season. Yeah, a couple he, of seasons. He went the shoey as well. Yeah, of course he did. Well, he nice. always so, does. Hamilton definitely benefited from Valtteri Bottas, who started in pole, retiring with engine problems after 19 laps. So, so a very interesting one. It would have been nice to see how he would have gone if he'd managed to stay on the track. Mm, indeed. Actually, Mercedes' first win at the Nürburgring since 1954 as well. So, a very, very long drought. Sure is. Sticking with motorsports, Chewie, an update on the MotoGP in France. Yeah, that took place over the weekend with Danilo Petrucci taking out honours ahead of Spaniards Alex Marquez and Paul Espargaro. But it was another Spaniard who wowed everyone, a guy named Johan Mir. He actually crashed out on turn three in practice and he was sliding into the gravel and he managed to catch his foot and ended up basically sliding into a running position. Yes, it was just that's incredible. People are calling it the best crash recovery ever. I mean, you've seen the footage. Do you, know, do you know what it looked like? As if a guy had been running backwards and then it was reversed. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, if you reverse that footage, yeah, it's incredible. It's I don't know how he nuts. got up on his feet. He was, he was actually lucky when he caught his foot that he didn't basically blow his knee out. Yeah, well, or do an Achilles. Mm. Now, Oscar Pistorius. Ah, uh, yes, he's back in the news. He's What's back he? in the news. What's he so, up to? Paralympian Pistorius, who was jailed for 15 years for shooting his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp. His ex-head teacher, Bill Schroeder, has been a bit of a spokesman, it seems. He's wanting forgiveness from the family, so he's, I guess, remorseful, apparently. So there's a couple of quotes here from Schroeder that I found a bit interesting. So one of them, he's more concerned about forgiveness than actually getting out on parole. In fact, he has a real fear about getting out on parole, as he knows there'll be a backlash. But the other one, he still maintains to this day it was an accident. I did feel he was showing remorse. It was interesting, because I did read something where somebody was saying that when you wake up from a deep sleep... Yeah, quite often you're a little bit disorientated, so you could... Guilty as sin. He's guilty as sin, but I I can understand that side of things, but 
you, yeah, you just don't fire a gun like that. You have to have yeah. some... Well, and there were stories of him pulling a gun at a restaurant and, you know, he had a checkered past, an anger problem, guilty of sin. Enjoy your low security prison for 13 years, mate. You got off fucking easy. very, very lucky. Do you realise that was seven and a half years ago? Yeah, well, there you go. So, yeah, apparently he stopped exercising, he started smoking, he's grown a massive beard, and he's turned to God. Oh, they always do. Mm. And then finally, Shui, we've got an update on the karting championships after (laughs) our... Crazy story last week. Yeah, we spoke about that that incident in the FIA Karting World Championships last week when Italian Luca Corberi lost his mind and threw the bumper at another driver before attacking mm. him in pit lane. Mm. There'd been all this talk about lifetime bans, and we were discussing that on the show last week. And the day after we recorded, it actually turns out that Corberi has issued an apology statement and asked the racing officials to take his license away. So he's actually imposed a lifetime ban on himself. Yeah, good on him. Which is... Yeah, almost as nuts as what happened. Showing great maturity. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But this story actually keeps on giving. One thing I missed in the footage of the assault in Pit Lane was the guy in the black hoodie who joined in on the attacks. Turns out that was actually Corberry's father. He actually owns Owns the the course. Yeah, I saw that on SportsCenter. It's nuts. Yeah, yeah. It was in the not top 10 on SportsCenter. I think it made number one. It's unsurprisingly. But what, uh, what a, yeah, what yeah. An absolutely amazing story, and not amazing in a good way, obviously. But, but just bizarre. It's just from yeah, top to bottom, crazy. So another ride on cue this week, Shui, and this time it's not a good one. Yeah, so big Mason Cox, we we gave him a nice pump up last week. That's not my bag, baby. Not that kind of Cox pump. <laughs> but no, we, we gave him a, a really decent go last week, and he he'd been playing fairly average most of the season. We. He obviously gave him the props after his great game against the Eagles, or certainly his great first quarter. Oh, well, I mean, three goals in a game constitutes a great game yeah. for a forward, and generally. And right on cue, four touches, zero goals, zero for Collingwood over yep. the weekend. Yeah, Flaccid, flaccid Cox. Let's face it, though. Collingwood were flaccid. The whole bloody team. Yeah. But we'll get there. Uh, and then one thing I wanted to mention at the top here, Shuey, before we get into the uh, meat and potatoes of the show. So... We have some ideas for little specials to do in the future. So one of the ones we'll be doing, when we talked about choking a few weeks ago, we thought it would be really interesting to do a full episode on choking. So if anyone has any ideas, anyone has any cases or situations or historical tidbits that they want to send through, please do. Yeah, if anyone has any sporting related chokes that they would love us to discuss, please, please send them in. So obviously, you know, we work full time and when the borders reopen, I will have to travel very occasionally. We might not be able to do it every week. Now, so far, so good. We haven't missed a week, but we will record a few specials here and there that we'll put up if ever we do miss a week for whatever reason. So that that choking one will probably be the first one we do, but we've got a few other ideas, a few other pokers in the fire. So please send us an email if you have any ideas and you want us to talk about them. If you have a question for the sport blokes, email them sportblokes at gmail.com or find them on Twitter at sportblokes. Please also like, rate and subscribe. Tell your friends. So for the second week in a row, we're a little bit worried about what we would open with. But once again, we had some subpar games in the footy. So the decision's been made fairly easy for us. We have two basketball champions in the US. Let's start off with the women. The Seattle Storm have won once again. Yeah, look, we have been a tad neglectful in forgetting the WNBA playoffs in all of these shows so far, unfortunately. We need to take a couple of minutes to applaud the Storm. Their fourth championship behind Brianna Stewart's absolute dominance. 
Uh, she averaged 25.7, 7.8, and 4 in the playoffs. 54% from the field, 50% from 3 on 34 attempts. So it's not even like she was 2 of 4. Wow. Uh, and 85% from the line. Not quite Della Don numbers from the line, but still, You'll take it. still very, very acceptable, that's for sure. I think most Aussies have a bit of a soft spot for the Storm because Lauren Jackson spent her entire 11-year career there. But they also have Ezzy Magbagor and Sammy Whitcomb at the moment, and they join Jackson, Abby Bishop, and Alison Lacey, who all won a title with the Storm, and Tully Bevilacqua, who was on their 2004 title team. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I forgot about Good that. Good little Perth link there. Inter- oh, oh, I like oh. what she did there. And then the other one, of course, is Sue Bird, just shy of her 40th birthday. She'll be celebrating that in less than a week, winning her fourth championship with the Storm. She's played across three decades there. I saw a little bit of the final game, which, by the way, was a record for a closeout game in the WNBA Finals. Still throwing magnificent no-look passes. Still play. I reckon she could go another few years, definitely. But spectacular effort from her. And I've got a lovely stat here. And incidentally, I believe she was on two undefeated UConn teams, but I might be wrong. I've got to be careful with... I've got a mea culpa on college basketball, actually. (laughs) I'll, I'll mention that in a sec. But 16 years between her first and last title with the Storm. And that's assuming that she doesn't win another one next year. Of course, yeah. Which is a very strong possibility. That's right, if all was said and done here. But as I say, she could easily keep going. A couple of other names on that list. So Tom Brady, 17. Jim Palmer and Babe Ruth in the baseball world, also 17 years before first and last. Kareem in the NBA, 17 years. And Chris Chilios in the NHL, 22 years between his first and last championship. That's amazing. There you go. So we were actually considering calling this episode the perfect storm because the the storm actually finished the playoffs six and zero. Unfortunately, the Mason Cox thing kind of got in the way, but <laughs> no, look, they they did very very well three and zero against the Minnesota Lynx and three and zero against the Aces as well. They won the third and deciding game by thirty three, as you mentioned, that was a record. Uh, in fact, their two point win over the Lynx in game one of the semifinals was the only game they won by ten points or less. Dominant. Absolutely dominant. And it was a pretty wild one, actually. They won that one on a buzzer beater. I managed to go back and watch the footage last night. So very, very impressive. But yeah, an amazing postseason from this storm and very, very worthy champions. Absolutely. Congratulations to them. And we go from some nice news in the WNBA to some, well, I guess it's nice now, but it wasn't for a while there. Yeah, well, they've kind of got their own Delonte West. Cappy Pondexter, former WNBA All-Star, she's kind of gone off the rails a little bit. She was found safe after apparently going missing. So what had actually happened was she got reported and, and arrested for battery last Tuesday, but she didn't have identification with her. So the cops have taken her in. She wouldn't give her name to the police, so they had to book her as Jane Doe. Ah. And so as a result, when people hadn't heard from her for a few days, they obviously filed a missing persons claim. But on Thursday evening, a couple of days later, she was found safe, and friends and family are trying to help her get the help that she needs, which is a, a great thing, obviously. You know, a shame to have to have a couple of stories like that in a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, well, just because you reach the top of your profession, it doesn't mean you're immune from difficulties, Exactly does it? right. So mm. again, we say, if anyone out there is having problems... Yeah, absolutely. Reach out. Absolutely. And sorry, my college basketball mayor culpa there as well. I was wrong about Delonte West last week. His St. Joe's team actually got knocked out in the Elite Eight. They went undefeated in the regular season, but they did lose two games. The team I was thinking of was the Deron Williams, Luther Head, James Augustine, Illinois team, who went undefeated. I believe they might have lost the Big Ten tournament and then went to the championship game, and they lost to the Ray Felton, Sean May, North Carolina. 
Well, we have a champion also in LA. The Lakers have won yet another championship. And as I mentioned in the starting music there, I have a feeling based on the rioting footage that there could be a bit of a COVID spike in Los Angeles in the next few days. It's absurd the number of people that came out. I mean, obviously they're excited about their team winning, but my God, people. Jeez, they, they love their riots after a championship in the States, don't they? I reckon they would have been four masks. Uh, well, yeah, okay. I don't remember seeing any in the footage. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. That didn't even occur. I mean, the COVID thing occurred to me, but the mask thing didn't. Yeah, you're right. I don't remember seeing any. Yeah, oh, it's insanity. But no, yeah. good on the Lakers. We probably should before we get into the game. So we've got to start off with a fairly funny bubble observation. Well, it's our last chance, isn't it, to yeah. have some bubble observations? We, we, were, so. we were actually watching game three last week after we recorded, and you actually found a, a really funny one in the group. That's right. There was a kid holding a, 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 not a spatula, but like a, I don't know, one of those things you drain spaghetti like a, with. Yeah, like a wooden draining spoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to put someone <laughs> off at the free throw line. So we've seen it all, haven't we? We've seen someone with a goat on their lap. We've seen, uh, yeah. It didn't work, by the way. He made the free throw. Yeah, he did. He did. What, it was a good game, that but one. We salute you, spatula boy. Indeed, indeed. So, as I mentioned, Stewie, the LA Lakers are champions once again. It did take him six games, which is more than I thought, and perhaps more than some thought. Game four, LA 102 defeated Miami 96. LeBron James had 28, 12, and 8. Jimmy Butler had 22, 10, and 9. Bam came back and played 32 minutes, so that was a decent effort after that injury. Game five, Miami 111 defeated LA. 108. Jimmy had 35, 11, 12, and 5 steals. The second player since 1973-74 to have a 30-point triple-double with 5 steals. And also the second player with two 30-point triple-doubles in the same series. LeBron James, of course, had the other. And the, the guy from the previous stat was Gary Payton. Gary Payton was the other with, um, yeah, that's steals, right, with yep. 30 points, triple-double, and five steals. LeBron had 40, 13, and 7. Then finally today, Game 6, LA 106 defeated Miami 93. It was not even that close. I think the scoreline, uh, a lot of garbage time in this mm-hmm. one. James had 28, 14, and 10. Bam had his best game for the series, probably coming good just when it was too late. 25, 10, and 5. He was the only player that turned up for him, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. So LeBron's done it again. Fourth championship, fourth finals MVP with three different teams. A superb effort. The King is coronated once again. And I think you're probably just happy that he beat Kawhi Leonard to that three-team finals MVP. Well, hey, it's funny you mention him because the interesting thing is I believe Kawhi was their first choice, but I think AD was a much better suit for LeBron. So they'll be glad they missed out on Kawhi and they got Anthony Davis instead because they were a perfect match for one another, weren't they? Definitely. So I suppose, should we go all the way back to game four? That was kind of where we were up to last week. Yeah, yeah, that's where we were up to last week. Beautiful. So... I suppose the big thing for me in Game 4, the Lakers finally got a bit of support from Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green. So Caldwell-Pope had 15 points on 6 of 12. Danny Green, 4 of 8 for 10 points. Not huge numbers, but considering what they'd been doing in the first few games, that was a a really, really big boost for them. And it was quite important because Rondo actually went through a mini slump from Games 3 to 5. Yes. So I think he had 2-4 and 2 in in those games. So it was actually nice for them to to get some sort of input from Green and Caldwell-Pope, who had been basically Caldwell-Pope poop and brown for for those games so oh dear and of course rondo now officially the second player to win a championship with both the lakers and celtics indeed. or indeed chronologically with the celtics and now lakers yes so 
Uh, Jimmy Butler, look, he was he was good, but he wasn't game three great. And Miami, unfortunately, just needed him to be that. So yeah, yeah. Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson kind of broke out of their slumps. They had 38 combined on 12 of 25, but they just got nothing from their bench. Get this, 13 points on 4 of 18 from the field. Wow. Yeah, Kendrick numbers 2 of 11, so he, he really stunk it up after having that really good game one. Yeah, yeah. So, when he found his way back into the rotation, I think, I think he's a cross between Jason Terry and Nick Van Exel. I've decided. Okay. God, if he's half as decent as yeah, those yeah, two in yeah, his career, yeah. we'd be very, very happy. Oh, hey, he's only a rookie. But I'll tell you what, it's interesting. Even with all of that, it still took that three from Anthony Davis with 40 seconds left to kind of put this one to bed. So Miami just, they fought. They and hung that, around. And that's, I guess, that's the Miami mentality. They, they fight, they scrap. So yep. it was an impressive showing from them considering, obviously, all that they were up against. Moving on to game five, though. This is kind of interesting. So Jimmy Butler, obviously, was the star. But this kind of goes down. I think we were talking about the Duncan Robinson game. When's, yes. when's there going to be one of those? And You could actually argue that the triple-double kind of meant more to Jimmy Butler than the one he had in Game 3 because obviously it gave the Heat a glimmer of hope. But having that unexpected boost from Robinson, he had 7 of 13 threes for 26 points. His back half of the, the series actually was really good. He ended up 13 of 26 over the last three games. But yeah, getting that boost, I think, was what got them over the line in Game 5. Well, his whole playoffs has been really good. I mean, okay, he's been a little bit inconsistent at times, but he's only a young kid. I oh. think he performed spectacularly well on the final stage, as did Tyler Hero, as you mentioned. Mm. Yeah, I think they've, bright they've future. got an incredibly bright future. Yeah, now. absolutely. They, they need to try and lock this team down as, as much as they can. Absolutely. As far as Butler goes, I mean, he gutted this one out. He left everything on the floor. You've probably seen the footage of him about 40 seconds left in the game. Bending over on the... Bent yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, he had yeah. nothing left. Just before he went to the foul line, I think it was. He played all but 38 seconds in that yes, game. Yes, yeah, he did. He did. He was just magnificent. That was such a cracking game from start to finish. It My was. goodness. Uh, it was the best game of the series for Yeah. Me. Oh, game five may have been the best, just about the best game of the... Pl- uh, ooh, ooh, Denver. Top, but, top, yeah. top three or four yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of the entire... It it's just super entertaining. Super entertaining. A couple of things I thought was very interesting though. Miami played seven players in this game. Six of them had double figures, and then Andrea Godala didn't score. Yeah, well. So yeah, it was it was kind of odd to me though that Kelly Olynyk and Myers Leonard just kind of lost their spot. As yeah, Olynyk hasn't played the last three games. As soon as ben two or three back. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was nuts. It's and, it's a bit of a shame considering how well he was playing. You would have thought you could at least find a few minutes for oh, him. I would have thought at least ten. Yeah. But, you know. Would have thought so. But I suppose he had a couple of talking points in this game. So the Lakers were expecting to win game five. I think they were just expecting it would happen. AD wore the gold shoes. Did you see that? Yes, they were wearing the black Mamba jerseys. In, they switched in, Yeah, they yeah. switched them from the purple yep, to, the, to yep, those. Because they thought they'd be respecting Bryant's memory with a win. Yeah, so I think they kind of walked out there expecting it was just going to happen. Now, what do you think? So obviously this game came down to the last possession, basically, Kind of down to the last. Oh, it was a nail biter from start to finish. And who finds himself wide open at the top of the key with a shot to win the game? Danny Green. Danny Green. What do you think about the pass out to him? Now, I've previously spoken about LeBron copying it for that pass out to Daniel Marshall in the 2007 series against Detroit. Danny Green has been atrocious in this series. Now, he was better in this game. He was 3 of 8 from the field, 2 of 5 from deep. What do you think about that? Well, apparently, by the way, apparently he had a hip complaint. So apparently he was playing with a dud hip all series, which okay. I only found out fairly recently. I think it was the right pass, to yep. be honest. He was pretty much triple teamed. There was tons of time on the clock. They actually got the offensive rebound yeah. when he missed the shot. Such a waste of It was of just Marquise Morris, Morris yeah. just screwed it up. So, And he had LeBron open. 
Morris could have passed it to LeBron off that rebound. Do you know, I forgot to check if they had a timeout as well. I don't know if I they don't did. think so. No, okay. I don't think they did. Okay. But, but yeah, he missed him. It was the right play. Yep. It was definitely the right play. And like I say, if Morris had played properly, he could have found LeBron afterwards for another shot anyway. But the crazy thing is, both Danny Green and his partner have been receiving death threats. Yeah. Like, seriously. It's disgusting. What the fuck, guys? Really? Like, you knew you were going to win the series. Just wait another game. Like, holy shit. Do do they... These people, do they think that Danny Green's just sitting at the top of the key going, I shall miss this on Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, oh, I don't want to win a ring for two different teams in consecutive seasons. Like, fucking hell. Yeah, it's... It's just disgraceful. Why do people have to do this? Seriously. We've said before, it's kind of the the in thing in 2020. It's It's just just disappointing. It's so disappointing. And I kind of feel bad because I saw a photo. You know how, obviously, they've got those messages on the back of the shirt? And Danny Green's one was how many more? And somebody had photoshopped it to say how many more fucking wide open threes am I going to miss? Oh, wow. Which I kind of laughed at at the time. And then I read about the death threats and now I feel, feel really bad about yeah, it. Yeah, so. uh, I don't know. But yeah. uh, no, it's... But do, do, like, do they even make the finals without Danny Green? Probably not. You know, I, I just, I don't get it. No. I don't get it. And that's the thing. It, it leaves a sound taste in your mouth for what was an exceptional game of basketball. And, and these would be the same people that would be, if there was a parade that could happen this year, they'd be at the parade patting him on the back. Yeah, and saying, well, probably. Um, yeah. You know, wanting to shake his hand. These are yep. the same keyboard Get his autograph. Yeah. Yep. Get a photo with him. Yep. So obviously at the back end of this game, you've had two out of the last three games where Jimmy Butler has destroyed LA's defense. He's gone for these two massive triple doubles. What do you think about Jimmy Butler as a max guy? Oh, he should definitely be a max guy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, do you not? Well, it's funny because I've heard a lot of people referring to him as like a tier two superstar. Now, I don't know if he's maybe... I guess you've got the max and the super max. Yeah, he's maybe he's a max, not a super max guy. Yeah. Because I I kind of worry that... And I I haven't had a look at his contract, but I just worry that if he start sort of not so much believing the hype but starts to really understand what he can do oh, he's a fierce competitor I don't think you're going to get that situation you, where... think, you think he would put team over absolutely over yeah okay. absolutely I mean I think he's a max guy and second tier superstar okay well it depends like is, does the top tier only have five players for example because there's way more than five max guys in the league oh yeah so yeah no I think he deserves max money definitely okay. definitely no no fair enough yeah and it's unfortunate because obviously we get to today's game and it, it fizzed out. It kind of fizzed out. Yeah, which is kind of what I thought was going to happen last week, but we did get that cracking game five. So we did. So look, full credit to Miami. They had very little dragage after game one. Okay, he played today, but, yeah, you know. Just, he was a shell of himself. And as he would be, you know, far out. He shouldn't have probably even been on the court. Bam was clearly not the same after the injury, and he did well to come back in game four. Two rookie starters. It's an incredible effort from Miami. And a key a key bench position being filled by a rookie as well with Kendrick Nunn. Yeah, and Duncan Robinson wasn't even drafted. So it's magnificent performance. So I was fortunate enough to get to watch a little bit of Game 6 today. I know, unfortunately, you were stuck working. I, I was able to get a little bit of time. But um, I guess this was kind of the game that I think a lot of us were expecting when Adebayo and Dragic went down. The Lakers' offense were phenomenal in the first half, and they just kind of rode it from there. And I think that's kind of what I was expecting in sort of games three, four, and five. But they got playoff Rondo back, which was yes, superb yes. to watch. He Yeah, he didn't really do much, as I said, in three, four, and five, but he was magnificent today. Solid again from Danny Green and Caldwell Pope, which is which is great. 
it just comes down to a haymaker in the second quarter. The Lakers used an 18-4 to run over the last four minutes to just blow this game out. Mm. So they doubled up the heat in fast break points, 16-8. to They actually beat him in game five, 25-4 to on the fast break as wow. well, which is, yeah, amazing. Very impressive. Unfortunately for Miami, as I said before, Bam was kind of the only guy who really stepped up. Jimmy Butler looked gassed. He just couldn't get going. He actually only took one more shot than Jay Crowder. Wow. Which is not good. Solomon Hill, though, had five points in two and a half minutes. If Miami had played him the whole game, he would have had 96 points <laughs> and would probably have a game seven. <sighs> Solomon Hill for Damn, and for all of the accolades and praise we heaped on Eric Spolstra, if only he'd played only Solomon he played Hill 48 Solomon minutes. Hill. <laughs> um, but if I may, speaking of Spolstra... His reaction in the post-game press conference where he just broke into tears and he actually said, like, I never cry and my wife will say, who the hell is that guy? But these guys, these teams have been in the bubble for over 100 days. We should also mention his wife has amnesia, so that's why she's saying, who the hell is this guy? Oh, well, it, you know, it would it would play a part, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but but it's, it's easy to forget that the season started on the 23rd of October, 2019. <laughs> it's 350 days, I think. It's nearly season. a full calendar year ago. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and what these guys had to go through, it, it, it would have been bloody hard work. Yeah. Yep. So I've got a couple of things I just wanted to mention. Alex Caruso getting the start ahead of Dwight Howard. What did you make of that? I think Caruso's played really well in the playoffs. He hustles. He's team first. Uh, he plays good D. I don't mind it. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was an interesting move. I mean, at the end of the day, Howard wasn't really doing that much. JaVale McGee didn't play a second in the entire series. So I think that was maybe just the Lakers trying to match up a little bit in that small ball. Yeah. It actually looked like Morris took most of the backup center minutes as well. So uh, they were yeah sort of going small ball to match Miami. And really stupid moment. LeBron got a tech with four minutes left in the game for slapping the backboard after a dunk. Yeah. I, I personally think this is one of the most ridiculous calls in basketball. Who is he hurting? Yeah, that's like, crazy. He's not yelling in anyone's face. He's yeah. not touching anyone. Just let it go. Yeah. It's four minutes four in the minutes, game. Yeah, There's what, no what, point. Yeah. Does Anthony Davis stay? I think it'd be silly not to. Mm. I, I, I challenge you to find a better situation. We will think about that. As the next season draws closer and we look at free agency and stuff, we will look at the free agents and possible destinations. But I, what, don't you, do you agree? Oh, It'd be course, crazy. Of yeah, course. It'd yeah. be absolutely nuts. I mean, yeah. he could potentially get more money elsewhere, but he's already made how many millions in his career? He's got a chance to potentially play on a team that could contend for a title for another two or three years. Yeah. I don't see any reason why someone like him wouldn't enjoy this moment. And I hope LeBron's talking to him and saying, enjoy this moment, remember it. We want to be back here again next year and the year after and the year after that. So. Florence Frank won Executive of the Year. Probably not a great surprise given that he managed to sign Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Oh, what a move by Frank! <laughs> Sorry, I had to put in a bit of Marvel, but nah, look, it had to be Sam Presti, surely. Yes! No, uh, no, look, I, I have no problems with this one. I think he's done a good job. It'll be interesting to see if he can back it up next year, though, and what's going to happen with this whole Steve Nash thing that we talked about last week. So mm. he'll, he'll definitely earn his Oh, yes, we'll be watching that team very closely. We shall. And Rob Polinka at the Lakers would, would have had to have been really close, I reckon, yep. securing AD and Danny Green, yep. yeah, among others. So I guess that brings us to the end of the NBA season. Yeah, like I said, one that went nearly a full calendar year. We don't actually know when the next one is. The draft isn't too far around the corner, so we will talk about that in the coming weeks and we will preview the next season as that draws closer.
I have to say, all things considered, I think this was a tremendous success. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it was. To, the the to, bobble was fascinating from start to finish. To get such yeah, such a, a, a plethora of amazing storylines to come out of... The Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns coming out of there. Obviously, yeah, the good news Suns, as we sort of called them. Yep. The get, play-in game, the Grizzlies having that great game against the Trailblazers. Yep. The Trailblazers themselves, Dame Lillard going absolutely nuts. TJ Warren going nuts for Indiana. Getting to see small ball. Yep. The rise and fall of small ball. Yes, yep, yep. If you wish. <laughs> And getting, regular season Rockets. Yeah, the regular season Rockets. That's what I'm going to call them from now on. Getting to see Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers choke away a 3-1 lead. Getting to see... Luka, Jamal Murray. Luka Doncic going up. There's so many things we could, we could yep. go back. And Donovan Mitchell in that first round too. Like that, of course. That Jazz Nuggets series was magnificent. Probably, yeah, probably the best series out of the entire playoffs. Possibly, yeah, probably. Yeah. No, it, it went tremendously well. Uh, there were very few positives, uh, incidentally. Well, Kendrick, very, few, very few positive cases. Sorry, yes. <laughs> to just good, point, good point. Good point. Kendrick Nunn and Bam Adebayo being two of them, by the way, playing on the, the uh, mm. runs up. So yeah. they dealt with a bit of adversity too. So, yeah. Look, my hat's off to Adam Silver and the entire NBA. Well, Absolutely. Well done. Yep. And the great work they do with Black Lives Matter. I think in all things considered, I think they've done tremendously, tremendously well. And it's a season we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Absolutely, for several reasons. And I dare say the NFL might not end quite as well, but we'll get there. Mm -hmm. And now, this week in sport history. October 6th, 1945, tavern owner Billy Goat Sionis buys a seat for his goat for Game 4 of the (laughs) Baseball World Series, is then escorted out and casts a goat curse on the Chicago Cubs. But the joke's on them because the Cubs wouldn't win the World Series again until 2016, 71 years later. Yes, there's been some big curses in baseball. Curse of the Bambino. But if anyone's wondering what a goat curse is worth, it's worth 71 years. (laughs) Apparently so. October 6th, 1993, after nine seasons and three championships with the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan announces his retirement from the NBA. He returned on March 18th, 1995 and led the Bulls to another three titles, of course. So that was his first of three retirements. Yes, of course. Then finishing up with the Wizards. October 10th, 1976. Greece's 98-year-old Dimitrion Yordanides becomes the oldest man to complete a full marathon, finishing in 7 hours and 33 minutes. I think at 36, it would probably take me about that long to finish a marathon. I think at 36, I wouldn't even run the bloody marathon. No, we'd walk most of it. No, I wouldn't even participate. (laughs) I wouldn't even join the bloody marathon. But if somebody held a gun to your head, you... you, Well, But, yeah. Yeah. They'd be mean for holding a gun to your head. They would. October 12th, 1979, the Boston Celtics guard Chris Ford, and went on to become a coach, of course. With the Clippers. Uh, and Milwaukee Bucks, there you go. among others. Probably several others, yeah. Scored the first three-point basket in NBA history in the first quarter of a 114-106 to win versus Houston at the Boston Garden. The game also marked the debut of Boston rookie Larry Bird. The Celtics win one of three from beyond the arc, whereas Houston went one of ten. They're only make by Rick Barry. And just to keep going with this one, on that same night, Magic Johnson made his debut against the San Diego Clippers, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hitting that famous skyhook at the buzzer, and then... Magic greeting him as if they'd won the NCAA. Basically tackling him. That was was amazing. Now, we usually do these in chronological order, but we had to put this one last because this is just absolute insanity. So October the 7th, 1916, Georgia Tech being coached by John Heisman defeats Cumberland in the most lopsided game in the history of US college football, 222 to nothing. Defies belief. It does. Cumberland had actually cancelled its football program before the season started, but they weren't allowed to cancel the match against Georgia Tech, so they had to field a team of 
kind of makeshift players. So now earlier that year, Cumberland had actually beaten Georgia Tech twenty-two nothing in baseball, and it was it was alleged that Cumberland had used professionals as ringers in that game. So Heisman wanted revenge. So it was sixty-three nothing at quarter time, one hundred and twenty-six nothing at halftime. Oh hell! One hundred and eighty nothing at three-quarter time, and finally two twenty-two oh, by the end of the ridiculous. game. Cumberland's quarterback was taken off three times with concussions as well. Jeez. Get this though. So they've scored 32 touchdowns. Georgia Tech attempted a grand total of zero passes for the game. Well, zero. Well, the Heisman Trophy is uh, a statue of a bloke doing the don't argue running the ball. So he did like running it. It makes sense. Crikey. Every single score came as part of 922 yards rushing or from nine fumbles or six interceptions. The highlight of the game for Cumberland was blocking an extra point kick when they made a human pyramid and a guy named Vichy Woods blocked it with his face and ended up with a nasty facial injury. I wish I could watch this game, but it was from 1916. Truly, truly incredible. Sure is. This Week in Sport History. All right, Stewie. Well, in the footy after a cracking game of finals footy last week, the AFL was a bit of a fizzer this weekend, it's got to say. Not great. In the first semi-final on Friday, Richmond 12 goals 8-80 defeated St Kilda 6 goals 13-49. It was actually closer than the scoreline read, but St Kilda's inaccuracy really, really hurt them. Max King uh, 0 goals 3 and John Marsh 0 goals 2, the main offenders, and then a bunch of other misses from everyone else. Yeah, St Kilda did their best Brisbane impression here, unfortunately. <laughs> it was a bit of an omen, though. It took less than 15 seconds for Dougal Howard to be outmarked one-on-one with Tom Lynch, and that kind of set the tone for, for the night. Yes, so. yes. For me, look, the game comes down to two things. The centre clearances, but most importantly, as you said, the accuracy in front of goals. So they started 10 goals, 1 did Richmond. And obviously we've seen St Kilda with 6 goals, 13. Richmond did fade a little bit at the end, but the damage was kind of done. It was, yeah. Just so many easy shots missed, whereas Richmond were nailing everything. Yep. Absolutely everything. Yep. It kind of came down a little bit, though, in terms of Richmond to a lot of their unsung heroes. So, like, Dusty Martin was, was decent. He wasn't amazing. but if you look It was at, the second-tier guys, it wasn't was. it? It was. So, guys yeah. like Basher Hawley had 32 touches and five marks. And 32 in a shortened game is, like, the equivalent of 40. Oh, yeah, she is. So, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really impressive. Shane Edwards, 21 touches, two he was goals. excellent, yep. And Shea Bolton, after the brain fades last week. Three goals. Chipped him with three beauties. So, yep, yep. So, I guess a few questions. How big an out was Jake Carlisle? Uh... Oh, look, I, I gave them no chance. And I actually, I got the tip right. I tipped Richmond by 31 and yeah, I was bang on. I forgot to mention that. Actually. Uh, but, you know, I thought without Paddy Ryder, Carlisle, I thought they'd have no chance. And and as I say, they're actually in the game. Well, most of the stats till... actually would indicate it was a very close game, except for the accuracy. Yeah, yeah. They were definitely in it till half time. You could say probably till three quarter time. And then Richmond kind of broke it apart in the fourth. But the, the difference was that they were getting as many shots on goal but they were missing all of them. And Richmond were kicking all of them. And it was pretty much that simple. So Carlisle plays in defense. Yeah, he probably would have helped. You know, and Ryder would have definitely helped. Mm-hmm. But amazingly, they're in the game without those two. And they actually could have won the match. They were just so poor in front of goal. They need to hire a plugger, I reckon. Teach them how to kick. It was pretty accurate. Yeah, he kicked a few for the Saints <laughs> over his career. Kicked a couple. Yeah. Now, we've got a couple of disciplinary things to talk about. Oh, so yes, we do. Obviously, the Tom Lynch knee to Dougal Howard... $1,250 fine. They've brought it down to $750. With an early guilty plea. early guilty plea. Surely there's got to be some kind of an accumulation thing here. He is a dirty bastard. He clearly intentionally dropped the knee. Okay, he only hit his shoulder. 
and he didn't hit it very hard. He already brushed the side of his face. But the the intent was that it was a really dirty, it was a dog act. And I'm just sick of it. From do, it. do you think the AFL are too scared to pull the trigger knowing that there's a prelim next Yes. Week? Yes, I do. Apparently there are things in the rules that allow you to be outed for a week for excessive misdemeanors, basically. Mm. But there's no way they were going to do it. Other blokes have done worse, you know, leading into grand finals. So they weren't going to. Yeah. But I tell you what, I hope next season for his next indiscretion he cops a week. Surely. Because it's just it's just unnecessary. Just dirty and unnecessary. Yep. Now speaking of dirty and unnecessary, we've got the Trent Cotchin tackle on Zach Jones after the whistle. Yes. Is he dirty? Uh, I'm not convinced he's a dirty player, but that was a dirty tackle, and I actually thought it should have been fifty. Yeah, I thought it should have been fifty. So well. they and that would have been a shot on goal too. That probably still would have been. Because it was around midfield. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. But no, I thought that was a disgraceful tackle. It was. It, it was. looked like a wrestling move. It was like a bit of a sling. Like yeah, a, yeah. Like a, D, like a DD or inverse DDT or like a neck breaker or oh, something. But yep, yep. Yeah, that was, that was a really horrific tackle. Mm. He's lucky that Jones got up. Mm. And he, I don't think he even got cited for that one. Nah. Yeah. No. Now, score review. Oh, yes. Can we just get rid of the fucking thing? Yes. Like, obviously, so to set the scene for a few yes. people, there yes. was... There was a long kick inside 50. It looked for all intents and purposes like it had gone over the back of... A, Vlosten, was it? Vlosten, Nick Vlosten, that's right. Who, and, by the way, now doesn't look like Tormund from Game of Thrones. I'm off him. Oh. <laughs> when he had that big red beard, he looked like shaved it all off. Dugowie cut his mop off too. I didn't yeah. even recognise him. Anyway, that, we'll he, get to the, him. The haircuts and, and the facial hair is another story. Yeah, but, sorry, sorry. But no, look, if you can't even get that right... What is the point in having it? And for me, I go back to this same thing every time. The soft call. The soft call is a bunch of horse shit. The point of having the technology is saying, hey, you, you have a lot of different camera angles. You've got a slow motion view of it. You need to decide whether this has been touched. Whether I think it's been... The fact that I'm going up to you says I don't have confidence in what I'm saying. So what their soft call is means nothing to me. That's why I like what the tennis have done. The tennis, they say, right, we're going to trust Hawkeye. It's an imperfect science, but for the most part, it's it's fairly accurate. If a millimetre of the ball is touching the outside of the line, the ball is in. And that's why I've said the same with cricket. If a millimetre of the ball is touching the stumps, you have to assume that it's going to take the, the bales off, more often than not. So I've, I've just... This you know, outside of the ball business. Oh, it's really disappointing. It, it, like, the goal umpire in the booth should have put his balls on the line and called it a goal. Because he didn't touch it. it. It wasn't inconclusive. It was clear enough that he did not touch it. The ball didn't deviate. Bloody hell. Like, get it right, guys. Hey, we're not at the bloody hell yet. <laughs> Still your thunder. Come on, dear. Look, my closing thought on this game, if I'm honest, I'm jealous every time the Tigers win, just purely because of their theme song. <laughs> it's it's what, like, you can love the team, you can hate the team, but you try telling me you weren't you weren't yelling. Oh, out. I, I sing just about every song when it, I can't help don't, myself. Tell me you don't yell out yellow and black. Oh, of course. Like, yeah, oh, it's a great song. It's the greatest song in the league by a long way. Uh, well, I don't know about a long way, but uh, I reckon by a country mile. I think there's several good songs. There's several. I wouldn't say by a country mile by no, any stretch, right. but it's definitely one of the best, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Collingwood, after miraculously beating the West Coast Eagles, really came back down to earth with an absolute thump. Geelong 15-10-100, Collingwood 5-2-32. Do you know what I had in my head during most of this game? What's that? Pure Massacre by Silverchair. It's <laughs> a song I haven't heard for a Brilliant song. But to be brutally honest, I actually think the scoreline flattered Collingwood. Oh, well, how's this? 
The Pies didn't have their second scoring shot till 4 minutes 30 left in the third quarter. That's scoring shot. They didn't have their second goal until 12 minutes 40 left in the final quarter. Yep. Neither team kicked a goal in the third. Tommy Hawkins, the 34th player to 600 goals. Yeah, he, he was brilliant. He made up for a bad one last week. He did, he did. But no, Collingwood kicked four of their five goals in the fourth quarter, and I think they were lucky not to lose by more. Oh, it was garbage time. There's so many numbers that just outline the dominance of the Cats. So firstly, the kick mark game. So 158 extra disposals, plus 142 in uncontested disposals, and plus 88 in marks. And it really worked. In the first quarter, they chipped it around their back line for the first few minutes of the game and really maintained possession, and it just set the tone, didn't it, for the entire match? But that's the thing. Like it was, There was a lot of that, but then it would go out to maybe like a halfback flank, but then all of a sudden you would look into the middle of the park and there'd be somebody sitting there 10 metres on their own. Mm. And it just kept going like that. So it was phenomenal how easily they kept possession yeah, yeah. and how poor and low the pressure was from Collingwood all night. Mm. I mean, it was like they had nothing left in the tank after mm. the previous mm. week. And I know possessions can be empty, but like if you look at some of these guys for Collingwood, 11 players had four touches or less at halftime. Yep. Jaden Stevenson and Mason Cox had one apiece at the half. So yep. just complete non-factors. 17 to 5 marks inside forward 50, plus 13 in clearances, plus 16 in inside 50s. It, there's just there's so many stats that just show you how much this was a complete domination. Mm, mm. Oh, absolutely it was. Four goals to the Tomahawk, four goals to Paddy Dangerfield. And I can't remember last week if we talked about his crazy goal against Port as well, by the way where he outran three players. That oh, was yeah, magnificent. I mean, I, I banged on about how many great goals there were. That was one of many. And he actually bounced the ball when he should have. Yes. <laughs> unlike Paddy Cripps' effort. So, yes, he did. So, yeah. uh, and speaking of that, I was saying to you after the, the first final, bring back the bloody check side, all these guys going around the corner with their yeah. non-dominant yeah, foot. Yeah, yeah. And yep. Paddy Dangerfield kicked two of them. Yeah. Probably two of the best check sides you'll see. So... He was phenomenal. And I kind of want to bring up something that you brought up to me so that I'll, I'll, let, I'll bring it up and I'll let you kind of have your say on it. Do we need the fan zone anymore? Yeah, yep. That's what I said to you when we were watching. I don't really see the point of it. We've got fans at the games. It's just kind of stupid, really. Like, so how often do you see people are like sitting there on their phones and then they realize they're on telly and so they give this fake applause? Yeah. and Or someone's, just... la- someone's lagging three or four seconds behind. They're sitting there doing Or they've nothing. left... Well, they've left, exactly. Yeah, no, nah, I don't think we need it anymore. It was, it was nice off. to see Daisy Thomas on there, though, for Collingwood. Yeah, okay, I didn't notice that, I've got to admit. Yeah, he was bottom middle at one stage. Oh, so. there you go. So, Shui, here we go. It's the weekend that many footy purists say is the best of the whole season. Prelim weekend. Oh, so, on right. Friday, we've got Port and Richmond. Port won by 21 in the round 11 encounter. Who you got? Oh, goodness me. This is probably the harder of the two. Uh... I mean, I have to give it to Port Adelaide just purely because it's in Adelaide, but nothing would surprise me in this. I'm going to go Port Adelaide by eight. Nothing would surprise me in, in either game. Any team could win. I'm going to say Port by 14. Here's a question. Should Richmond have elected to play their semi-final against St Kilda at Adelaide Oval? I mean, there would be some logic into it, obviously. Get used to the ground, but that's obviously assuming that you beat them there as well, which... They probably would have, but... Even if you lost, I would have thought it was it would have been a good decision to play at the ground that the next week you'd be playing mm. at if you won anyway. Mm. Caro was teeing off about it on Footy Classified, saying it would have been presumptive and blah, 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 blah. But I think it would have made a good decision. Mm. Anyway, in the other game, Brisbane and Geelong on Saturday. Geelong won the, well, if I can call it home and away fixture, because it was played at the SCG, mm. by 27 in round six. 
I mean, again, you wouldn't be surprised if Geelong got up and won this, but being played at the Gabbo, you have to give Brisbane the advantage. I'd say Brisbane by 20. I'm going to say Geelong by 8. Ooh. I just, when I was watching that Port Geelong game in week one, I just had this feeling these are going to be our grand finalists. So I have to stick with that. So do you think this is the week that Brisbane's inaccuracy will kill them? I think it could be. And it could be that week Gary Ablett pops up for a couple of goals. For, and maybe 12 or 13 possessions. Yeah. He did have two good goal assists. He, he did. Maybe not enough for right on cue. But, but, he, he, but he did have a good game. He had another 10 possessions though. Let's not go there yet. <laughs> Um, and I guess one little final thing to just to round this out. A record 10th prelim coming up next week for Joel Selwood. Yes, yes. So, he has had an astonishing career with great success. A great, consistent, successful yeah, career. Yeah. And is it any wonder, the Cats, 11 top four spots in the last 14 years. 7 out of 10 with Chris Scott at the helm. He's looking very tanned, by the way. He's enjoying it up there, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, of who, course, he played played with the Lions at the end of his career. Who, but, wouldn't, uh, who wouldn't enjoy the Queensland sun? Yes, yes. Not Paddy Dangerfield. They were ripping him for looking too pasty white in the post game. He's probably been in the gym working out. So. Yeah. Oh, look, he's he's the best player in the competition for mine. Bit of other news with retirements in the AFL world, Shuey, before yeah, we move on. A couple on. of quick ones. Off the back of Collingwood losing, Travis Barco has officially pulled the pin. Ah, uh, yes. He's a two-time premiership player with Geelong. Yes, yep. Uh, and James Frawley retired as well, so another one for Hawthorne. Um, and just a, a little quick thing as well. It's kind of spooky about the timing of things sometimes. I was actually talking to my old man a couple of days after the loss to Collingwood about next season, and we are sort of saying, look, the league and Asada need to pull their finger out and kind of tell us what's happening with Willie Rioli. He's been sitting in limbo, I guess, for more than a year now. Surely they're, you know, surely that's enough time for having some pot in your system. Now, I understand there are other things that he did, but at the end of the day... Do we know for sure it was pot? I thought we didn't know what it was. Oh, I, I was of the understanding that he, he, oh, okay. he had some marijuana, but... Oh, okay, I thought it wasn't reported. He, could, he couldn't pee, so he ended up just pouring some Gatorade in. But yeah, anyway, well, that's... Yeah. But apparently... Couldn't pee. Yeah, well, apparently there's an expectation from Eagles GM Craig Bozzo that there'll be an outcome by the end of the year. So, okay. look forward to seeing if and when we'll have Willie Rioli back. And so. that's after those Crows blokes copped their suspension, of course. Yes, so four games for Tyson Stengel and a couple for Brad Crouch, I believe. Mm, mm. And speaking of pain, Collingwood might have some pain with Majacek still on a rookie deal looking to make some money and fair enough, he's like 27 or 28 so the, the man deserves a bit of bit of money for his toil. And Jordan Degoe. And Degoe's chasing the dollar signs too. So, uh, get, he'll get. So, so they could have a couple of big players leave. Yep. And incidentally, a, a friend at work who goes for Collingwood says, Mason Cox, time to cast him aside. Oh, gotcha. I said, geez, that's tough after the game he had last week. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but not after the game he had this week. Yes. Anywho. So in our NRL games this weekend, Shui, the Raiders 22 defeated the Roosters 18. Yeah, not a great start from the Roosters. They let Josh Papali cross in the first four minutes of the game. And after an amazing team link up that kind of resulted in another one, this time for George Williams, Joseph Tarpini broke at least five tackles to make it 16 nothing, And the game looked all but over. But I tell you what, the Roosters, they're resilient. They're kind of like the Miami Heat, I guess. So... <laughs> Uh, Josh Morris made a beautiful run down the wing before a gorgeous kick inside, a little check side, I guess, to James Tedesco. And the seas parted for Joseph Manu to help make it 16-12. We had a bit of a ball game here. Mm. So Tedesco unfortunately copped a pretty nasty leg break from a through ball from George Williams and Jack White managed to score. Tedesco got the try back six minutes later. It was a real up and down sort of game from there. Unfortunately, the Roosters just couldn't get across the line that one last time and the Raiders move on. Simple as that. 
The Raiders move on to play the Storm. In the other match, to play the Panthers, who finished top of the ladder. The Rabbitohs, 38, defeated the Eels, 24. Now, there's a bit of buzz about the Eels earlier in the season, but uh, alas, they have fallen. Can I just say, I got both my tips right on this last week through sheer, <laughs> sheer ass. I got one out of two. I tipped the Raiders and the Rabbitohs, which the Rabbitohs is a bit of an upset, actually, because the Eels, were, they finished third, so... Eels! <laughs> Sorry. Mighty Bush reference. Yeah. Look, the Bunnies well and truly took advantage of a, what you'd call a capitulation from the Eels. Adam Reynolds kicked beautifully in this game, 7 of 7. Mitchell Moses, unfortunately, missed an absolute sitter, which ended up deflating Parramatta. So, a couple of things about this. Jackson Paolo scored in the corner on 16 minutes. Eels captain Clint Gutherson and George Jennings combined for three tries in five minutes, mm. which actually had the Eels leading 18-8 at the half. Liam Wright and Cameron Murray managed to put the Rabbitohs back on top, but then came one of the weirdest moments of the season. So Moses had a penalty shot from about 15 metres out, a slight angle. He's absolutely smashed it into the post. Oh, dear. The ball's flown about 30 metres out, and would you believe it? Play on. Well, it's, well it is play on yeah, for Yeah, yeah, a live ball. But the ball actually landed back with the Rabbitohs, who ran it all the way down to about the 25 metre mark, and on that same set, a grubber ball was put through, taken by Gutherson for, for the Eels, but he's absolutely got smashed, lost the ball, basically threw it up in the air, and in comes Bailey Sirinan, who basically takes possession, puts it down for the try, and extends the lead to eight. So a real huge turning point in the game. And a lot of people think the Eels kind of dropped their, their bundle, bundle there, yeah. which was a, yeah. a real shame. A few minutes later, Jackson Paolo jumped the line for a pick six of sorts, to use the <laughs> NFL terminology. Uh, well, it ended up being a converted try, so they got six for it. Jennings got one back for the Eels after a frenetic link of passes, but Damian Cook went 50 metres untouched to put the nail in the coffin. So, as you mentioned, this leaves us with the Storm taking on the Raiders on Friday night and the Rabbitohs taking on the Panthers on Saturday. It's hard to go past the Storm and the Panthers in those games, really. Absolutely. Now, a quick story from the NRLW. We had a game between St. George Illawarra and Brisbane. Isabel Kelly had the ball played to her and started running. And Amber Hall from Brisbane grabbed her by the hair, started sort of tackling her from behind her and just crushed her ankle. And she's a big girl. Yeah. Very, very solid. But amazingly, only a $300 to $500 fine for the hair pull and an early guilty plea sees this girl avoid any ban of any kind. Mm. You, we've seen the footage. It's, it's, oh, you shouldn't be pulling people's hair. It's brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the equivalent of a squirrel grip for the blokes. Maybe not quite that bad. Well, I don't it's, know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's painful having your hair pulled. Well, I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, as, as especially a, as a tackle. Yeah. Well, like, bloody hell. Like, d- pulling someone down by their hair... And as a, at as full a, pace. And as a bloke with, with quite long well, hair. Well, I do have long got, hair, you've yes. You've got your heavy metal hair. So. Yes, I do. I do. So I can't imagine you'd enjoy that too much. Not as much as I used to have, but, uh, well. you know. Age. Yeah. Mm. 36. <laughs> Come here for insight. <laughs> yeah. And then we had a draw in the Bledisloe Cup, 16 all. And he was me. I sound way too excited for someone talking about a draw. He was me earlier in the year saying they should cut the Bledisloe out completely because <laughs> I was expecting we were going to get smashed and we actually probably should have won the game. So yes, the Bledisloe Cup has started their best of four series. Best of four. Yeah. Mm. Well, there was first ones a draw, so if, well, now it is if none of the other ones, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well played, well yeah, played. Yeah. But yeah, 16 all draw in Wellington. The last time the Aussies beat New Zealand in New Zealand was in 2001, three years before Facebook existed. Mm. So that puts it into perspective. And not long after they'd won the World Cup, of course. Exactly. Against France. Now, look, this game wasn't going particularly well for the Aussies. They were absolutely smashed early. It started off looking like it was going to be an absolute walk in the park for the Kiwis. So they had a penalty early and managed to convert a try not long after that. 
we were lucky to get a penalty back and, and make it 8-3. But it actually looked like a loose pass from a line-out that got picked off was going to be waltzed over the line. But luckily for the Australians, a guy named Rieko Ioane, they've got some real great names. And you've had a few this episode too. (laughs) As he's gone to ground the ball for for the try, he's actually dropped it and they've basically missed his fingertips by a couple of millimetres. Just after last week we were talking about premature celebrations. Exactly. So it should have been 13-3 at the half, Mm. but we were lucky to go in under. I mean, it took all the three minutes for them to cross after the the halftime break, but that would have really blown it up. Mm. The team's traded penalties. We managed to get a couple of tries to, to sort of go back ahead in the game. And, and next thing you know, it's 16-13 with a few minutes left, and it's looking like we're a decent chance here. Unfortunately, the Kiwis then got a penalty and managed to convert that. But about two minutes into into injury time, we get a penalty 55 metres out. We've got a guy named Reese Hodge on our team who is basically a golden boot. He can absolutely roost one, and he has flushed this thing. It, it looked like a Malcolm Blight sort of effort. It was going that far. <laughs> and just like in the Parramatta Eels game, it's smashed into the uh... upright. But amazingly, it bounced back out to us and we retained possession. And in the ensuing tackles, there was probably at least three indiscretions that could have resulted in penalties. There was mm. a couple of offsides and Artie Sevilla came in from the side of the ruck off his feet, which is a penalty every day of the week. So there's a couple of umpire related... New Zealand lucky to escape with a draw. Well, yeah. I mean, the umpire was accused of being too scared to make the call. I mean, you want the players to decide the game, but there comes a point where you've just got to make that call. The other one, though, that same guy, Rieko Ioane, stepped on the touchline on the wing, which was being patrolled by Angus Gardner, an Australian. Mm. And it led to a try. Mm. So they were very, very lucky. Mm. And speaking of umpires, of course, Razor Ray's got the ass. Oh, yeah. Shitty bouncing. Oh, yeah, we forgot to get to that one in yeah, the NFL. That's yeah, that's all right. We'll, we'll, yeah. good, good riddance. No APL over the weekend, Stewie, but we did have some international friendlies. Yeah, some big scores, actually. France 7 defeated the Ukraine 1. Uh, Poland 5 defeated Finland 1. Italy put 6 past Moldova, who were kept scoreless. Denmark 4 defeated the Faroe Islands 0. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't laugh, though. The Faroe Islands actually beat Ireland one year. So. Oh, there you go. Uh, and the big one everyone was looking out for, Cape Verde 2 defeats Andorra 1. Oh, good. And I believe there'll be Burkina Faso facing disputed zones sometime <laughs> in the week. So, um, But we do actually have a ridiculous story from Arsenal. They've been trying to do a bit of bit of cost-cutting at the club. They decided to axe a guy named Jerry Quee, who's been the guy behind their mascot, Gunnosaurus, since 1993. Because, well, there's no fans for him to interact with. On the same day, they signed Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid for £45 million. Wow. So, Meza Ozil has actually said that he'll pay Quee's wage, which is a really nice move. Um, apparently, though, Ray Parler, who's a former Arsenal player, says it's just a publicity stunt from Ozil trying to get back into their rotation. So, <laughs> it's, it's an absolute shit show. Shifting across to America now, Nathan, I believe it's been another big week in the NFL. Oh, it always is. It seems to be. I managed to watch the first half of a couple of games, channel surfing between Seven Mate and ESPN. Uh, on one channel, we had Kansas City and Las Vegas... Uh, which was a good game, an interesting game. The other one was the Ravens and Bengals, not so interesting. <laughs> but it was interesting to see Joe Burrow, the Bengals rookie. So I got to get a bit of a look at him. Jeez, it's tough when you don't have an offensive line as a rookie on a shit team, let me tell you. Uh, but the Las Vegas Raiders actually had a win over the Kansas City Chiefs. So they handed the Chiefs their first loss of the season. And I've got to say, I'm not surprised because they really came out with intent they, look, they were looking good. I remember thinking, they could win this. And sure enough, they did. 
So and, and Mahomes threw a pretty pretty key interception that was taken all the way he back did. to the one. He did. So for the golden boy, and he's magnificent, and as I said last week, he's well and truly the face of the league, but he's not perfect. He threw, and he he is, threw in a triple coverage. It was never going to... Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're the ones that he often gets. That's the thing. Yeah. So, you know, no guts, no glory. But you can't win them all. Uh, now, if you had Bill O'Brien in your first coach sacked sweepstakes, then you got a win. Yes. He, uh, after taking the Texans to one and four to start the season, he has got the ass, and he was actually also their GM. Now, oh dear. Now I heard an interesting thing. Uh, I think it was it might have been Mike and Tony on PTI, where one of them said, "Great coach, shit GM," and he basically got fired from both jobs because of his GM work. He actually traded DeAndre Hopkins, one of the great young wide receivers, much to the chagrin of the entire fan base and to the surprise of the entire league. And the sporting world, or, you know, the American sporting world. And it's been his demise, ultimately. He felt that he couldn't work with DeAndre. Now the team's left with neither. <laughs> so that fan base will, will probably hate Bill O'Brien for quite some time. And then Dan Quinn was fired by the Atlanta Falcons today. They are 0-5 themselves. His record with Atlanta, 43-42, and 42, so he kind of hovered around 500. He famously coached the Falcons to Super Bowl 51 where they blew a 28-3 three-quarter time lead. And cost Eugenie Bouchard a date with some random guy on the internet. Oh, is that... Okay, was that... uh... Yeah, she said if the Atlanta Falcons lose this game, I'll go on a date with someone. Oh, right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And they shouldn't have lost. And we will talk about that one on the choking episode, (laughs) let me tell you. But they never recovered from that. So he's... I had Vic Fangio as first to go. He'll probably be next. Over in Denver there. But yes, so we've already had two coaches go down. Speaking of down, you'd think that a bloke who has played a fair while would know how many downs he's allowed before he loses the ball. Tom Brady mistook fourth down for third down, blowing a game against the Chicago Bears. Now, after the game, he said he did know it was fourth down, but there's footage of him clearly showing his four fingers up at the at the ref saying, oh yeah, so it's fourth down now. And they're like, nah, mate, you turn it over on downs. Well, he's either dumb or he's cheating. He's he's just lying. He's not cheating, but he's lying. But, you know, this is the bloke that destroyed his phone who had nothing to hide. So he'll be feeling positively deflated. Uh, but, geez, it's amazing what a loss can do because he was berating his teammates. He was acting... He threw the toys out of the cot. He was acting like a petulant child, actually. Now, I mentioned Atlanta were 0-5. New York Giants and Jets are both 0-5. So, not great for the state of New York there. However, Buffalo are 4-0. and And that's pretty rare. Buffalo have been pretty crap since the Jim Kelly days. So, the state of New York is officially 4-10. and The other undefeated teams, Seattle are 5-0. and Russell Wilson is looking like the MVP. Green Bay 4-0, and Pitt 4-0, and and Tennessee 3-0. and Now, the reason they've only played three games is because I think it's now up to 28 positive tests. They've already had one game postponed. They're now looking like another one may be postponed. But it is tentatively scheduled for in a couple of days' time. So, we'll see what happens there. You have an interesting story about the Giants and Rams last week, Stewie. Yeah, jeez. Well, after the show last week, we were watching ESPN together and debriefing as we do. We saw in the highlights of the New York Giants and LA Rams this massive tackle by Jalen Ramsey on Golden Tate. All I can see when I read his name is the Golden Tate Warriors. Um, we love a good pun. We might actually resurrect the pun gun that the, the starters used to do on their show. Uh, anyway, it turns out there's a bit going on there between those two. Ramsey's actually the father of a couple of Tate's sister's kids that broke things off while Brianna was pregnant. 
Tate has posted on social media that he was circling this matchup, and what do you know? There was pretty much an all-in brawl oh, yeah. after the game. Yep. And it was all over Sports Center too. Yep. Apparently Ramsey was even trying to wait for Tate outside the Giants locker room, but thankfully it ended up where it did. But mm. yeah, I, I can't wait for them to play again. Oh, now something we forgot to mention about Kansas City. Uh, I believe you have a stat on that one. Yeah, first team to start 4-0 and in four consecutive seasons. It seems amazing that no one's ever done that it's, until now. Yeah, it's it's hard to get wins in the NFL, but they did lose today as well. So, so that's an interesting one. Now, the other it, just terrible, horrific injury to the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Jack Prescott. Absolutely horrendous. Yeah, your leg's not really supposed to bend that way. Unfortunately, he got crushed in a tackle, and I don't think they've given out an official diagnosis, but it looked like a compound fracture of some sort to his leg. It's probably broken in a couple of spots. And, and unfortunately, the commentators at the time were saying, oh, hopefully it's just a cramp. And I'm like, yeah, leg- I didn't hear that. I saw the footage and I thought, bloody hell, how can you get a cramp out of that? His leg's facing 100 The wrong way. Degrees. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, and he, the reaction on his face was just heartbreaking because he will probably never be the same again. And the crazy thing is that uh, the Cowboys wanted to re-sign him on a multi-year deal over the off-season. Uh, he was drafted in 2016, but he was Five actually... Five years, $242 million. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But he was actually holding out for more money. Uh, but now he's got, uh, only inverted commas, $43 million guaranteed. But beyond that, who knows? It's anyone's guess. So, I mean, he's a good player. You'd like to think if he recovers, he'll still get paid. But oh, not, but not but kind not, of not top five quarterback no, money not, or not top ten. Yeah, yeah, no, not even close. Not even close. Luckily, they have a decent backup in uh, Andy Dalton, who quarterbacked at yeah. Cincinnati for many, many years. But would you believe they're leading the NFC East at two and three? I would believe that because I said last week yeah. how they were. So. Yeah, Philly one and three, Washington one and four, New York zero oh and five. A combined record of four and fifteen. For that division. Quality. Yes, not good at all. But as I mentioned in the starter, we did have a bit of a roller coaster in terms of injuries. So we had one player go out, we had another player come back in in Alex Smith. Yeah, that's right. So would you believe 17 surgeries and nearly 700 days after a catastrophic leg injury, Alex Smith made an appearance for the Washington football team. <laughs> Sorry. After Kyle Allen went down in the second quarter of Washington's game and indeed lost to the LA Rams. Crazy story, great news. You know, they showed footage of his wife crying in the in the stands. It's, you know, so maybe Dak will look at this and say, "Okay, well, Alex Smith came back from a pretty horrific injury. Yeah. I might be lucky." I mean, he went 9 of 17 for 37 yards. Oh, yeah, they, the stats they, are they, inconsequential. They, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, they lost yeah. 30 to 10, but who yeah, cares? Yeah. People are already saying it should be the comeback of the year and they should name that award after him. So, yeah, phenomenal effort from Alex. Absolutely. And I believe you've got an update on the Tyrod Taylor story as well. I sure do, yeah. So just to finish NFL for this week. So I mentioned last week, and it actually happened the the previous week, but he copped a punctured lung from his team doctor administering an injection. But insult to injury, so... He he got the second lung. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Not that bad, but he's lost his starting spot now. So as a result of copying that injury, they sent in rookie Justin Herbert and he's kept the kept the job. So Tyrod not only got injured, he has now lost his starting job over at the LA Chargers. Oh dear. Yes, indeed. Yes. Thanks, Doc. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, fairly quick bloody hell this week. It's not so much a sporting act, but rather a sports punter. 
Ooh. So there have been loads of massive multi-leg bets over the years, but this one might actually top the lot. So the BMW PGA Championship at the Wentworth Club in Surrey was on over the weekend, and a sports bet punter put on a 20-leg bet, betting on the outcomes of 22-ball head-to-head matchups. He nailed every single one of them. Wow. And turned $1 into nearly $680,000. Oh, I bet he wish he put 10 bucks down. Well, yeah. Well, he probably wished he put a million bucks down. Well, he also probably assumed that that dollar was just being flushed out yes, of the toilet. Yes, yes, yes. That's nuts. But, I mean, you could sit there and do those sorts of 20-leg bets for the rest of your life and probably never get all 20 of them right. So, for managing to do that on a sleepy Sunday morning, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So we have winners at the French Open, Stewie. It's all over. Yeah, so we'll take a look at the finals in the men's and the women's, and then we'll take in some of the talking points from the tournament. There's a a little bit to go through here. So we'll start off with the women's. That happened a couple of days ago. World number 54, Iga Swiatek, who is just 19 years old, actually became Poland's first ever Grand Slam champ in singles, Mm. defeating Sofia Kanin in the final 6-4, 6-1. Kanine was a good story herself. She was a brilliant story. She took out the Australian Open earlier this year. She's been a real rising star in the game. Unfortunately, she had an upper thigh injury during the game, and Swiatek had power on both sides and just too much placement for Kanine. Kanine, just 4 of 17 points on her second serve is a pretty damning stat. Mm. 25 to 10 in winners, 13 to 2 in points of 9 shots or more. Mm. So it really shows how much Kanine was hampered by that and had that lack of mobility. So Swiatek actually only dropped 28 games across her seven matches wow. for an average of four per match. Wow. She never actually lost more than five games in any match. And along the way, she beat Marquita Vondrasova, the 15th seed, the former world number five, Eugenie Bouchard, the number one seed in Halep, and the four seed in Kanin. So some big scalps over the, the couple of weeks. Absolutely. Her career prize money was just over 1.1 million US before this tournament, and she pocketed a cool 1.6 million euros for her work in the last two weeks. There you go. So she's done very, very well. She sure has. Now, last night saw the men's final between Rafael Nadal, who hadn't lost a set on his run to the final. The king of clay. He Indeed. He actually only played one seeded player the whole way through, though, Diego Schwartzman in the semi-final up until the final. So he actually did mm. quite well with the draw. Mm. And obviously Novak Djokovic, who was given a bit of a scare in the semis. Stefano Tsitsipas took him to five sets, but he got through. Yeah, I saw a bit of both semi-finals, actually, Stewie. The interesting stat for me. So after winning the first two sets against Tsitsipas, Novak Djokovic actually went an hour and 43 minutes between match points. Wow. So he's 6-3, 6-2 in the first two, and then he lost 7-5, 6-4 in the next two, and then he won comfortably 6-1 in the fifth. But yeah, nearly two hours between match I didn't points. didn't realise that. Yeah. That was amazing. So I guess going into the final, I mean, this was a really weird one. It looked like an absolute demolition job on the scoreboard, but the reality was the game was actually a fair bit closer. You see 6-love, six 6-2 six in the first two sets, and you just think it's a pants. Mm, but mm. Djokovic played really well. Nadal was just next level, basically. So Djokovic had this really weird strategy. He was kind of playing a lot of drop shots early, moving Nadal around the court, trying to get him into the net. But Nadal's so quick. Like, he just gets to everything. And so he loves sliding, you know. He he's does. the king of clay. He does. He plays it so, so well. The big key, I think, in this match, though, was unforced errors. 52 to 14. Wow. And it kind of shows, like, Nadal was just making everything. Mm. He looked like he was out of position. He's playing this crazy little dink right into the back corner. He's a couple of steps away from where he should be, and he's still finding lines. It, it was nuts. Like, Djokovic was basically having to win each point three times. Mm. It was it was that good. And he had to go for lines to get past Nadal. It just seemed like Rafa won all of the big points in this match. It took Djokovic 55 minutes to win his first game. Wow. 
And even then, he had to come back from 15.40 down on serve. So, Sounds like Collingwood trying to kick a goal. Well, kind of, yeah. Goal, yeah. So, Raf is now 100 wins and two losses at Roland Garros. It's incredible, isn't it? It is. The fact that he came in his first tournament and won the whole thing. Yep. So, his only two losses, Djokovic in the 2015 quarterfinals and a boil over against Swede Robin Soderling in the round of 16 in 2009. Well, even the best are allowed a rare off night, aren't they? Exactly right. Now, in case you were wondering what Iga Swiatek and Nadal have in common, they both won the tournament without dropping a single set. Wow. So, very, very impressive. That is incredible. Speaking of which, Nadal's the first male to win four Grand Slams without losing a set in a tournament and equals Roger Federer on 20 Grand Slams. Surely he's got three or four more in him by the time it's all said and done. Federer might have a couple more in him too, though. I don't know. I think, Or at least one more. Um, I hope for one It'll more. It'll be interesting. The next couple of years... I do hope for one more. Yeah. I, I think I think Roger's maybe got one, if that. But There'll be a lot of eyes at the Australian Open. I Dare I say it, though, and I've been a big, big advocate for Federer being the GOAT, I think Nadal may well overtake him. Mm-hmm. I think he may be the greatest of all. You don't time. think Federer's kind of dominance across multiple um, surfaces puts him a nose ahead of a guy who dominated one surface? Nadal's got the career grand slam as well, though. Oh, yeah, don't so, get me wrong. I know he's one other. Federer's won Wimbledon eight times. Yeah, so, yeah. So you could certainly make a, a point for that. But no, look. Similar to the LeBron MJ uh, arguments that people will have. Yeah, it really is. I mean, no matter what you say, someone's going to think you're wrong. But no, it, look, a, a really, really interesting week. Now, we've got a few talking points from this. So, six unseeded men made the fourth round. Five of eight of the women in the fifth round were unseeded as well. Plus, the tournament was won by an unseeded player in the women. I actually read this really interesting article that mentioned that for a lot of these players who are used to playing in small stadiums with no fans, in things like, you know, you qualify a tournament's challenger tools, mm, that sort of mm, stuff. Juniors. It probably felt a little bit normal, and I guess it removed a lot of the stress and the tension and the big-name players who kind of rely more on that crowd noise. Well, and the crowd often is supporting the big-name players too, of course. Yeah, so it was was kind of interesting to read that. Mm. That's an interesting theory, isn't it? It's either changing of the guard... Or it's an anomaly. Yeah. Time will tell. It certainly will. Mm. And also, because it's later in the year than usual, so the French Open's usually played around May, the weather was a bit cooler, the balls were heavier, they didn't really sit up as much on the court, so it impacted a lot of the bigger hitters and kind of evened the game up a little bit. Slower surface at the best of times, but yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the massive story of the week had to be the disgusting act as Novak Djokovic hit another line judge in the face. Yes, oh, he did. I'm just kidding. Obviously, it was a... It was an accident. It just sort of came off the frame a little, <laughs> a little bit, but but no, it was uh, it was still a little bit of a half ass check on the guy from Novak. But anyway, don't. That's what he does. That's what he does. No, look. The actual big talking point is the match fixing investigation from the doubles match between Yana Sizikova of Russia and Madison Brengel of the USA, playing Andrea Mitu and Patricia Maria Teague of Romania. Mm. Hundreds of thousands of euros were bet on a break of serve in the fifth game of the second set which Sizikova lost to love. Two double faults. She stumbled when she was retrieving a volley. Sizikova's earned just $173,000 worth of prize money since 2010. So for me, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, is it a cheating duck? (laughs) Probably. I mean, you've got to imagine a player who has that small amount of prize money, which, you know, she's just doing her thing. Someone offers her half a million to take a dive, so to speak. Fishy. Very, very fishy. Mm. So can't wait to see what, what happens from that. 
Look, in some good news, we spoke about Alex Zverev, who was knocked out of the tournament after being ill. He's come back as negative for COVID, so the tournament well, Yeah, we officials, might have jumped the gun there a little, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, the tournament officials would probably have breathed a pretty big sigh. Yeah, absolutely, there, they did, absolutely. And I guess the closing point that we do have to talk about, massive congratulations to Dylan Alcott. He's won his second straight French Open title, beat Andy Lapthorne 6-2, 6-2. He was untouchable in the final. Just Lapthorne... And after no dropping way. the US Open, he probably was pumped... He was. To get back in the winner's circle. He was. No dramas for Mladenovic and Tamea Babos in the women's doubles. Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Mies in the men's doubles. I won't rattle off the rest of them. We'll be here all night. But I noticed that the wheelchair doubles only has two rounds and the wheelchair singles is only three rounds. So that's a bit of a shame. Mm. Maybe something that they could look to rectify and get a few more people involved mm. with next year. Interesting. Now, as we alluded to last week, Stewie, the Aussie women did tie that record in the end. They had a massive win over New Zealand. A huge score of 325. Haynes had 96. Healy had 87. A good spread of scoring from the rest of the girls. Amelia Kerr, the pick of the bowlers for the Kiwis, with three for 50 off her 10. And then in reply, well, they were woeful. 93. Mm. So an easy victory there to finish that series for the Aussie Southern Stars. Yep. It's actually their second highest score at home as well, trailing only the 397 they made against Pakistan in 1997. And keep in mind, the game was semi-professional at that stage. So really, really great effort. I mean, what can you say about Rachel Haynes and Alyssa Healy that hasn't already been said? Mm. Their control in this innings really set the middle order up in terms of giving them something to work with. They took 104 off the last 10 overs which is phenomenal, a phenomenal effort. It's like the ultimate ODI, isn't it? Where you can tee off in that last 10. Exactly. So they Beth, paced well. So Beth Mooney had 29 off 19. Talia McGrath, 29 off 11. A couple of really nice cameos at the back end. So, yeah, it set up a, a really, really huge score. And, and it ended up being quite a nice spinning wicket. So Jess Jonathan, Georgia Wareham, Ash Gardner, Sophie Molyneux, they were all superb. Nice to see everyone taking a wicket. Yeah, so four of the girls had two wickets each. The other two had one each. The highest economy rate was 4.16 from Schutt, who had two for 25, which is very tidy. Yeah, very much is. It seemed like Amy Satterthwaite and Maddie Green were the only ones who really gave any sort of resistance, but no one else got past six, which is not good. The only thing better, though, than equaling a record with a 232-run win is breaking it with that. Yes. So look, a sensational effort from the girls. And then finally, the IPL, Stewie. Yes, we'll start off with the man cab. There's been a lot of talk about this. So Ravi Ashbin, who's playing for the Delhi Capitals, great name, by the way. Oh, of course. Uh, is, is a guy who's more than happy to do this. And I've got no problems with it, personally. I actually think the man cab's a great thing. The batters already have enough of an advantage, so they shouldn't be getting a further advantage by creeping forward. Well, yeah. I know I know that uh, arguments are exciting, but I actually agree with you 100%. Mm. I've never understood why it was such a... Like some Aussie, like I think it's a punter, Steve Waugh, they're like adamant that it should not be happening. But what, like... A guy can walk halfway down the pitch for no retribution. Well, Man-cat him. It's, it's interesting you say that because Ricky Ponting's actually his coach. Yes. And he told him that it's not how he wants yes, to be Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So they had the match with the Royal Challengers, Bangalore, and at one point in an Ashman over, Aaron Finch would have been five or six feet out of his crease. Ashman stopped, gave him the warning, fair enough, but he's hinted to the rest of the competition that they are now on notice. Mm. So he could potentially go against Ricky Ponting's wishes. Now, 
Yeah, I mean, we've already said we both think that it has a place in the game. I yeah, I personally agree. It's, it's why a, let the batsman walk halfway down the pitch? If, if that's the case, then get rid of stumpings as well. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's like the bat flip in baseball. Why does everyone lose their fucking mind about a bloke throwing the no bat a little idea. bit? Well, for the record, it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. Bangalore came up 59 runs short anyway. Marcus Stoinis had a nice 53 off 26 to lead the way. And Gisa Rabada took 4 for 24. Virat Kohli's 43 was the only score over 17 for the challenges in that game. The other big talking point has been around the use of Glenn Maxwell. So during the Kolkata Knight Riders in Kings 11 Punjab match, with them needing just 21 off 16, the absolute perfect spot for Glenn Maxwell, they decided to put Prab Simran Singh ahead of him. Mm. Now Singh made just 4 from 7, which kind of left a little bit too much for Maxwell. They ended up needing 6 off the last ball for a super over, and his attempted shot over cover came up about an inch short of the rope. Mm. Devastating. You wonder if maybe they've prioritised the local player so that he'll get a knock, but they've lost a game as a result of exactly. it. So, exactly. Yeah. Now, Maxwell had a lovely outfield shared catch. There's it, been a few. Yeah, of them, yeah. It's so funny because like nowadays it's just a dime a dozen, mm. but back in the day everyone lost their mind over yeah, it. Yeah, it has to be pretty special. Not as good as that Purin one. Oh, that was, that was magnificent. Yeah. Now, we'll delve into the games a little bit more as we get closer to the finals and the AFL and the NBA kind of drop off. But some of the best performances of the week. So Virat Kohli had 90 off 52 as the challengers from Bangalore beat the Chennai Super Kings. Rian Parag smashed a six off the second last ball as Rajasthan pipped the Sunrisers Hyderabad. Johnny Besto had a 97 off 55 as the Sunrisers beat the Kings 11. And Rahul Tripathi smashed 81 off 51 as the Knight Riders beat Chennai. After all of that, Mumbai and Delhi lead the table with five wins from seven games, and the winner of Kolkata and Bangalore will join them, while Kings XI and Punjab sit bottom with just one win. I've got to say, those Delhi Daredevil uniforms look a lot like the Perth Scorcher uniforms. Yeah, they do, don't and they? And I see Davey Warner, and I just think, what could be? You know, Can what? you imagine Davey <laughs> yeah. Warner walking out for the Perth Scorcher? It's funny how you say that. I actually thought that. I was watching some highlights, and I was like, is this a Scorcher? Yeah. I did think that just yeah. today. Well, Shui, we've kind of looked at footage of riots in LA I'm sure there's more to come out of that that we can talk about yeah, next week geez. what are you amped for well I never thought I would ever say this in my life let alone on this show but I'm actually amped for the second game of the Bledisloe Cup <laughs> was game one's performance a flute from the Aussies or can they actually take it up to the Kiwis again how about yourself well look I know it wasn't close but I am looking forward to watching game six of the NBA finals okay tonight I think beautiful yeah until next week I'm Nath and I'm Stu we are the Sport Blokes Thank you.